for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. So here we are, um, beginning a new series called Living the Kingdom. And uh, in this series, as we look at uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, you'll, you'll find that it covers all the areas that we've been talking about, the up and the in and the out. You can find everything in there. And, um, but first, let's look at our, our, our vision statement, just to remind ourselves of this again. And uh, let's just sort of share it together, shall we? So let's share this together. <coughs> our vision is to grow a family of believers who are passionate about loving God and his presence, that are secure in their identity as his sons and daughters, and filled with the Holy Spirit, each one partnering with Jesus daily in extending his kingdom. Thank you. Stand, just going down. Thank you, that's better. Let's stand and say that together. Let's say it with a bit more confidence, shall we? Our vision is to grow a family of believers who are passionate about loving God and his presence, that are secure in their identity as his sons and daughters, and filled with the Holy Spirit, each one partnering with Jesus daily in extending his kingdom. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Yeah. The question is, how do we do that? And what a good place to do that, obviously, is digging into the Word of God and especially digging into the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about being kingdom people. There are those who think the Sermon on the Mount was uh, kind of spoken to, the, to Israel at that time and they rejected it and it's been put on hold and it's left to a, a later time, perhaps a millennial kingdom, when we can sort of more easily enter into it and fulfill it. But the reality is that this message is for now. This scripture is for now. Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are for the people of God, not only then, but also for today. And it's important that we hear it and understand the message. It, so it's good for us to turn to the Word and uncover the truth, to discover how we can be God's people in our generation. And uh, some people have referred to it as... Uh, uh, Jesus' manifesto. His, and we're in a, a moment of election, aren't we, when people are putting out their manifestos. Someone very cunningly yesterday in Canterbury handed us a leaflet that said about encouraging you to vote in, in the upcoming election, but they very cunningly handed it to me uh, up the wrong way. In other words, when I turned it over, I saw the way that they were focusing. <laughs> you know, I thought, very cunning, just tell me to encourage me to vote in the election this coming, coming week, but actually don't show me the side you want me to support, as it were, um, or otherwise. Um, so there we go. Um, but this is Jesus' manifesto of the kingdom of God, and uh, it covers all sorts of things. It covers the reality of daily life, and as you read through it, you can find things like murder, and murder hate, adultery and lust, sexual immorality, oaths, double talk, love that goes the extra mile, loving your enemies, uh, what you treasure, uh, the danger of trying to serve two masters at once, worry, a very present thing for so many people, uh, judging others, something that it's it's very easy for us to find ourselves doing. And, And so this is about kingdom now. It's about the reality of our present-day experience as we live under the reign of the king in his kingdom that has come in Jesus and is coming. 
So if you've got your Bible open and you turn to Matthew chapter 5, and actually we're going to start in chapter 4, verse 23, where it says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness. And news about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. And people from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from the east of the Jordan River. Uh, So you get the impression immediately there's a great throng of people who suddenly heard of Jesus, want to go and hear him, want to go and encounter him in different ways. And chapter 5, on the day, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. And then we get what is commonly known as the Beatitudes or the blessings. I much prefer to think of them in that way and refer to them in that way, the blessings. Whom God blesses. And, uh, and you go through a list there of those that he blesses. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then if you and then he goes on teaching, he goes on unpack, unpacking his kingdom manifesto, the manifesto of the kingdom. If you go to the end of chapter 7, it says in verse 28 when Jesus had finished saying all these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he told them as one who had real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. And then we step over into chapter 8, and it says, large crowds followed Jesus, and he came down the mount- as he came down the mountainside, and suddenly a man with leprosy approached him. He knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And Jesus did just that. So they, they are the bookends of the Sermon on the Mount. Right at the beginning, he's preaching the kingdom, and he's doing the works of the kingdom. As he comes to the end of it, he's preaching the kingdom and he's doing the works of the kingdom. He's, he's healing those who are sick. And one of the things that we want to notice as we look at the, the, this kingdom manifesto, that it is rooted in the Father heart of God. All the way through it, he's unpacking the fact that God is our Father. He's not simply our creator. He is the one who made us for himself, for for us to be his children and for us to know him as father. Not simply an almighty God who's out there, but a God who is present to us in our daily lives, in, in the thick and the thin of the fallen world in which we find ourselves in existence at this moment in time. So it's rooted in the father heart of God. And we need to understand that when Jesus is teaching. This is, this is God in the flesh. This is the one who is the Son of God. This is God the Son. He's dwelling with humanity and he's revealing the Father's heart to, to humanity and he's bringing something of God uh, to them. 
And so he is God manifest in the flesh, re- revealing the, uh, the, the Father heart of God. And there's Old Testament parallels that are going on here. For those of you who know your, your Bibles, you know you've got a mountain, and that takes you back to, 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 to the Old Testament, to Mount Sinai. Uh, it takes you back also to the law. You've got one sense law, inverted commas, going on here. If we can put it that way, we've got law in the Old Testament. We've, we've got a prophet, and we had a prophet in the Old Testament, and, and we think of Moses. So there are Old Testament parallels, and we, we know how that's the... How, the, how Israel was shaped. Moses goes up a mountain as a prophet of God and he hears from God and he, he brings down the law and he speaks prophetically to the people of God. And in a similar vein here, we have something going on, something being enacted. Uh, Jesus going up a mountain and bringing to the people the word of God, the living word of God. But there is a, a radical difference. This is not law. Uh, some people tend to think of the Beatitudes uh, as, as the law of the kingdom. It is not a law to be viewed of in that way. This is actually full of grace. Each one of these are blessings being given to people who are in a certain condition. They're not trying to earn something with God. They are actually in a place to receive something from God. And so this is about the grace of God. This is about the gospel. It's not a law, I've got to do this or I've got to do that. It's every bit the gospel. It's the good news of the kingdom of God. They knew what law was. They knew what that was to to be in a position where in some way or other they thought they had to perform up to God. And Jesus comes with good news and he says, no, it's actually all about me. I'm the king of the kingdom. I'm the servant king. I'm the one who will give my life a ransom for many. And 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 I will gather you up into my kingdom. And it's interesting that in this very Uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about how he's come to fulfill everything that they couldn't do. So in in verse 17 of chapter 5, he says, Don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I, I came to accomplish their purpose. And I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus comes as the one who will fulfill the law where Israel had failed, where humanity had failed. Jesus comes as the one who will fulfill that law on Israel and humanity's behalf. And then he will take all that is wrong about us and pay the price for everything that separates us from God. And so it's, it's an amazing story. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is such an exciting thing. And here you see large crowds being gathered to him, coming to him from all sorts of places. You've got the Galilee, those coming from Galilee. They were, they were mixed and, and Jewish and Gentile communities. Uh, the Old Testament refers to Galilee of the Gentiles. Then you have the Decapolis or the the ten cities were predominantly Gentile in in nature. You have the uh, the Jews from Jerusalem and and Judea. And then you have those who came from beyond Jordan who were racially mixed. So this is an interesting crowd of people who are turning out to follow Jesus. And the crowd in, in, in this term here is not necessarily a friendly term. It can have negative overtones. The Pharisees would, would have said, this is a rabble. This is, this is just some, some kind of mob. You know, they, 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 are, they are rebellious. They, they, they shouldn't be here. We should disperse them. But they, they, they were largely uneducated people. They, if you like, were, were not the salt of the earth, but the scum of the earth. 
They were illiterate in regard to the Jewish law. They were the unclean. We, we do not mix with them. We do not touch with them. We do not engage with them. But one thing we do find as we go through the Gospels is it says that these people heard him gladly. <laughs> they weren't so keen on listening to the Pharisees who had the law. These people, these common people, these uneducated people, these people who were illiterate, these people who were from all sorts of mixed backgrounds, and many of them not Jewish, heard Jesus gladly and followed him. And so Jesus announces the good news of the kingdom. And it was a radical announcement. Now for, for many years, for many centuries, the, the Jew had been looking for the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. They were looking for, for David's reign all over again, for the magnificence of it and the glory of it and the extent of it. And they were looking for that king who had been promised who would one day come. And they had their image of that king and what that king would look like and what that king would do. But Jesus confounds their image of the king who would come, of Messiah. He confounds their understanding of the kingdom that they were expecting to, to be brought in. And so we have this radical announcement, Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Matthew 4, 23, something they'd long for. And this good news is, is, is a radical thing. We, we kind of perhaps lose sight of what that is all about. But in Roman terms, this, this Greek word that is used here is a, is a Roman military word proclaiming your rightful king has come. And it's what they would do when they arrived in certain areas and they took, took them over. They would have this announcement, this gospel announcement, this evangelion, this announcement that said, your rightful king has come. Whoever was here before wasn't your rightful king. This is your rightful king and you will serve and worship him. And so this is a radical thing because this good news is about a king who is nothing to do with the political powers of the day. It is indeed about King Jesus himself. And it's a, you're, so your rightful king. Can you imagine this Roman-occupied territory and someone going around saying, repent for the kingdom of the heavens has come. You know, follow him. Can you imagine the kind of the reaction that that would be? In many ways, it was indeed a, a political message. And we, perhaps we, we lose sight of that. It was a challenge to the, the powers of the day. And it had a huge in, impact well, perhaps we forget that by the time of, of Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Jesus movement had gathered a huge momentum. Have you ever stopped to think about the arrest of Jesus? When you see the pictures, the paintings of Jesus being arrested in, in Gethsemane, there's usually a handful of soldiers. And, and they're there to, to, to arrest defenseless Jesus. But no, it's not a handful of soldiers when you read the scriptures. It's a cohort there's anything between 300 to 600 people, uh, soldiers, turning out in the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. Now that shows something about what they understood about him as a person and what was going on through this message of the gospel of the kingdom. Wow. I mean, can you imagine them? I, we, we've been to the Garden of Gethsemane. I can imagine what it's like. Imagine them all out there on the hillsides. You know, we'll have 200 up there. We'll have 200 up there. And we'll, we'll have some more down here. And, and then a smaller group will go in and arrest him. Yeah, between 300 and 600 soldiers to arrest Jesus. That shows something of the nature of the kingdom movement that gathered pace as Jesus lived here and spoke and healed and delivered, etc. 
So he had this message, the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God. And, and there's a reference over 200 times. Both the, you find there's a difference in Matthew and a difference in the other Gospels. Some refer to the, one, one refers to the kingdom of God and another one referred to the kingdom of the heavens. They're one and the same thing. Some people are trying to divide those things and they don't belong. They're not to be divided. They're to be together. So the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God is referenced over 200 times. That's far more than heaven or hell. Not that heaven or hell are unimportant, but there's something we need to take note of when we see so much reference to the kingdom of God. It's not talking then about a place where we're going to when we die, although that is important, but it's talking about a place where God reigns. And his reign is unopposed, where people say yes to God. It's about getting something of heaven actually into us. And didn't Jesus teach us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that right? And that, that, that's, that's part of this teaching, this Sermon on the Mount. He teaches, he, he wants something of heaven in each one of us. In fact, he wants a lot of heaven in each one of us. And he wants a lot of heaven in not only our individual lives, but in our marriages, in our families, in, in our communities, in our church community. He wants heaven in us so that that gets revealed to the world, world what his reign is like. Wow. Let me ask you this morning, have you said yes to God? Or are you sitting on the fence? Are you here as somebody this morning who's seeking, just wondering all about this? There's an opportunity here for you to say yes to God this morning. Yeah, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I, I want to follow him. I want to serve him all the days of my life. Maybe that you, you're, a, you're a Christian and you, you're walking with a, a, a foot in both camps. You're trying to do both things. And you know what happens when you try to do that? You get the splits. You know, one, one foot that way in the kingdom, the, one foot the other way in the world. And it's an impossible walk to have because as you, you try and walk in both directions, you can't maintain momentum, can you? And it may be this morning that you need to say yes afresh to God. Yes afresh to Jesus. Jesus, reign in me. You can be here perhaps and sing the songs about his reign and it's kind of a distant thing. There are other things going through your head and all sorts of things. But when you read the Sermon on the Mount, there's a call to the reign of King Jesus in every respect of our lives. So Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God. He demonstrated the reality of the kingdom. You, you find lots of healing and delivering and so on going on in the, in the life and the ministry of Jesus. These were not simply signs or evidences. This was the kingdom bringing redemption and dismantling evil in all of its form. And that's what God wants to do for us in Jesus. He wants to dismantle evil in all of its forms as it's got into our lives, as it's got into our relationships, etc., as it has got into our world. It is deliverance from everything that binds us to fallenness, and it releases us into living the life God intends us to be. A full life. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Not you might simply be forgiven and say, well, I've got a home in heaven when I die and somewhere or other I'm just going to, you know, I hope I can get through this life so that when I come to dying, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. 
No, it's a bigger promise than that. There's a fullness of life to have. There's a life to be lived. And yes, it won't always be easy. But there is a life to be lived in God that we we cannot live without living under his kingship, under his reign. And so we we notice the blessings there. They are, are, uh, as I prefer to call them, the blessings rather than the Beatitudes because they are an open door to everyone who is addressed in those conditions. It's not only a list of attitudes that we're striving for. But no, it's not another law that we've got to try and achieve, not another ladder to climb. It's, It's about people who are in that condition. And Jesus says, if that's your condition, you are welcome. And blessing is something that God does. So this is full of the grace of God. And this is what staggered the people of the day, particularly the religious people, because Jesus was offering through the grace of God, the blessing of God to people who in their minds did not deserve it. And they would in some way ask them to perform and go through all sorts of stuff to try and get the blessing of God. And it never worked. Didn't work for a man called Martin Luther several centuries ago. Tried all sorts of things, and then one day he saw that the just will live by faith. And boy, didn't it change his life. He was transformed. Read the book. Go and watch the film. It's exciting stuff. So we have these wonderful blessings. And over a hundred times in the Gospels, Jesus preaches that he is making the kingdom of the heavens available. And so in in, in announcing the kingdom of God, he opens that door to those the religious people were keeping out. And that's why the Beatitudes are so shocking. The blessings are so so shocking. These, These people do not deserve to be blessed. But God says, if that's your condition, you're in a place to receive my blessing. And they came, and they believed him, and they received from him, and they followed him. It's interesting that Jesus confronted those of his day. The the hardest time that he had in his ministry was with those of his day who said they had the truth. They had the truth, but they didn't follow it. And they kept others from it. So when we think about this gospel of the kingdom and, and what it means for our lives, it's not about as someone has referred to, sin management. As Christians, we, we kind of get into sin management. Oh, somewhere or other, I've got to live with this until the day I die, this, this weakness in my character, this, this thing that pulls me down. We get a bit like Paul and say, the good that I would, I do not, and the bad I don't want to do, I, 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 you know, I keep on doing. And if, if that was Paul, what hope is there for me? That is not the fullness of the gospel. The fullness of the gospel is something more than that. It's Romans chapter 8. There's no condemnation and there's life in the spirit. We have a new power within us. We can live in a new way because the king is with us. So it's not about sin management or or an arrangement that simply gets us to heaven when we die. The Sermon on the Mount is not about trying harder, harder, but rather about life in the kingdom through an intimate personal knowledge of the king. Jesus himself said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true and real God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And so he brings them into this personal relationship, and if they come into this personal relationship, they know their creator, they know their redeemer, they know a new power and presence in their lives. But it's interesting, isn't it, that in doing this, he, 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 if you like, he, he heightens it. He, he, he seems to make it harder, doesn't he? Because you get those phrases, and they'll be picked up on as we go through this series. You have heard that it was said but I say unto you. So it it sounds to us as though he's, okay, he's picking up on the Old Testament law. You've heard this said, you should not. 
And, and then he says, but I say unto you, and then you look and you think, oh my goodness, this is a much higher demand than even the law of the Old Testament. You see, he's getting at something. It's possible for us to go through all the externals of, as it were, Christian life and serving God and never have real heart change. And he's pointing out the need for real, vital heart change in each and every one of us. You can major on the externals. You can major on outward conformity. You can look every bit the part from the outside, but it's far from reality. You may not murder, but in your heart, it's as good as though you would. You may not commit adultery, but in your heart, it's as good as though you would. And so Jesus is, is, is tightening their understanding. He's, he's taking the law further, and he's exposing their hearts. And he's saying, the heart is the important thing. Except your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of the heavens. So in other words, the law, even as Paul says, though it's good, it doesn't go far enough. But this gospel of the kingdom can go right to the heart of the matter, go right into the human heart and bring an inner transformation, a new reality. If you only though, Jesus says, if you only love those who love you, what reward is that? If you are only kind to your friends, the ungodly world, they do that. And you, you notice again the, the tightening thing at things where he says, no, you are to be perfect even as your Father in the heavens is perfect. So there's a call for something radically different here to what the people of, people of God had ever known in previous generations. There was a radical message that was going to bring radical transformation. God's abundance to our lives and our families, in our ministries, is not something that is passively received or imposed. It doesn't happen to us just by chance, but it's claimed and it's put into action by an active, intelligent pursuit of it in the grace of God. And that is something that this message calls us to. It calls us to a, a real faith in Jesus Christ, but it calls us to a faith that doesn't just rest on our laurels, because that's the danger. We rest on our laurels and we say, oh, well, grace, and we become lazy. Grace is not about being lazy. It is about encountering the goodness of God in Jesus Christ and coming to a new faith and a new life in him and, and receiving transforming power in our lives. But it, it requires us then to engage with it. So Jesus says later on, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And I believe that as Christians, there are, there, there are in differing measures in which we can possess that kingdom. And that is the choice that we have. Do we want the fullness of the kingdom? Or are we happy with little measures of it just to get us by life day by day and, ho and home to glory? Or do we want the fullness of that kingdom in our lives now? Do you want that fullness of the kingdom in your personal life? Do you want that fullness of your kingdom, the kingdom in your marriage? Do you want that fullness of the kingdom in your family? Because it won't just happen. He calls us to, to abide under his reign. He called us, calls us to live in his power. He calls us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's something that needs, therefore, to be claimed. Grace is, 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 is God's free gift, but it doesn't leave us lazy and indifferent to the rest of life. It equips us and empowers us to take hold of God and to lay hold of his word and his promises and purposes. And uh, 
So every day, you and I are making decisions. And this is what this is about. It's, it's talking about situations, real situations where there's anger. It's talking about real situations where there's lust. It's talking about real situations where there's a, the desire for more things, for, for mammon, as, as he calls it. And it's talking about, therefore, how we handle those things, how we make decisions in those moments, how we get hold of the wisdom of God. Jesus said, let, let those decisions be framed by seeking out ways to live and act in union with the flow of God's kingdom life. I wonder, is that, is that what you desire to do? To live in the flow of God's kingdom life? A problem arises in your, in your marriage. Do you first go to the king and say, Lord Jesus, we're in difficulty here. I don't know what to do. We're having a fight I don't know how to get out of it. Do you ever go to him and seek the wisdom that is from above? So often we we, we get hold of that wisdom from below, which only puts us into more punches, doesn't it? And digging our trenches and firing at one another across the land between. Do we ever get together? You know, those who pray together, I remember hearing years ago, those who pray together stay together. And that's not religious praying, that's real praying. That's praying where, you, where you, you share life together. You say, God, we're in trouble. We're running through difficult things. We've got a situation here with our children. We don't know what to do. We, we want your wisdom. We want your blessing in our marriage. We want your blessing in our family. We want your blessing in our, in our church community, etc. So grace is, is not opposed to earning. Grace is rather, it's opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. And so grace enables us to take up the heart of God and seek it with all of our might. And as we think of it, and I need to draw to a close here, because so often we think of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, a very personal thing. It's got to be in, in our Protestant circles, as it were, evangelical circles, about me and my righteousness. And there is a place for that, knowing the righteousness that Christ gives us and living right. But actually, the word is a bigger word than that. It is actually justice. So seeking first the kingdom of God and his justice, and actually justice involves everybody else. And when you begin to see it in that way, so the, you know, in this we've got the up, we've got the in, and here we've got a very powerful out when we begin to think in these ways. Seeking first the reign of God and his justice for all peoples. And then it says all these things will be added unto you. You'll have an abundance. Can you imagine what in effect, this message was having upon these people and upon this nation. So kingdom living and fruitfulness requires a well-directed, decisive, sustained effort in the grace of God, realigning us day by day to live our lives through confession, repentance, and faith. There's a lot there. But we're going to be digging in as, more as we go through the weeks ahead of us. But I'd just like to pray. So let, let's just pray together. Father... By your grace, I commit myself afresh to you this morning, to going your way and being a truly kingdom person, someone who lives under your reign. Forgive me that I've not walked with you as I should and, and help me to change what needs to be changed so that my life is conformed to your will and you are glorified in me. Help me to be a constant seeker after the truth of your kingdom. And save me, O oh God, my Father, from compromising and self-justifying schemes, from shallow living and, and petty thinking, from trivial talking, from thoughtless doing and useless regretting.
hurtful resenting and faithless worrying and complaining. Help me, Father. Help me, King Jesus. Enable me, Holy Spirit, to see the need around me and respond to it rather than talking about it. In your name. I ask you to stand with me. We're, we're doing this series because we, we believe that Jesus is the hope of all the world. And that we believe that actually the, the kingdom comes through his church. It comes through us, his people. And we want to equip you uh, as a leadership to be kingdom carriers, to, to be confident in carrying the kingdom of God in your life to other people around you. We want you to be confident about knowing what that kingdom is about actually being able to see the fruit of that kingdom in other people's lives. And, and that's why we're doing the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what Rich has spoken about this morning. We've got time now just to uh, come back to God and say, God, would you just come and speak to me today? Show me areas of my life where I just need to, again, Lord Jesus, allow it to conform to your kingdom. Show me this week where I can bring the kingdom to those around me and that I might be a witness to them for the hope that you've called me to. And we're going to just do that now together. So can I encourage you to engage with God now, come and do business before him, um, that, that actually you might walk out of this place going, yeah, I met with God this morning. And, you know, we can sing songs together, but actually it's about you interacting as well with, with the Father this morning. So we're going to worship together now.